What's up, everybody? My name is Brady Morgan, and I am the host of the Budget Trek Podcast. Before we get into the show, I want to talk about our sponsor. SocialX is a community of entrepreneurs working together to make a positive impact on the world, scale their businesses, make more money, and build their networks with like-minded individuals. They have weekly mastermind calls featuring top business leaders, online courses, and amazing entrepreneur events all over the country, which teach entrepreneurs how to go from zero to six figures. If you're interested in learning more about SocialX, go to socialxevents.com and tell them you came from the Budget Trek podcast. Now, on to the show. Here with my friend Andy Dane Carter. He is a real estate expert, investment strategist, the best-selling author of 100 Doors, a keynote speaker, and a real estate business strategist. Andy, what's up, man? What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Super honored to be on the show. It's an honor to have you, man. So, I basically just read your bio off Instagram, but I know there's a lot more to who you are. So, what's your story, man? Who is Andy Dane Carter? Yeah, so I have a I have a long story and a long backstory. I'm 42 years old, uh, and I grew up in Long Beach, California, and was raised by a single mom and was raised poor. Like we struggled, we struggled. She she worked like you know two and three jobs. My parents divorced when I was four. Um, so from a pretty young age, it was like I got to figure this out. So I had to grow up really fast. Um, I started working when I was 12. Uh, I was a really good athlete and a really bad student. So uh, not the greatest combination, but I always liked to work. I always had a really strong work ethic, um, which helped me tremendously in sports because I would work harder than most. And then that kind of translated into business. And I also didn't care. I just wanted to learn. I was always, and I'm giving you the super short version. I have always wanted to like learn new things. Even to this day, I'm constantly learning new stuff and I'm addicted to growth and expansion. But when I was a kid, I didn't know what that meant. I just thought that I had like severe ADHD and ADD, which I do. But now those are my superpowers because now I can collapse time and go really, really fast in a very specific direction and get a lot done. So what I was told by my teachers as this was going to be a problem for him turned out to be an incredible superpower as an entrepreneur. But they don't tell kids that. They're like, oh, he's broken. So I had to go do a lot of recon in my 20s to basically tell myself some new stories around that subject because I was like, oh, I get bad grades. I'm stupid. It's a good thing I can work hard. You know what I mean? So I just translated everything into this laser-like focus of I'm just going to outwork everybody. And so far, so good. But I've been in a lot of different industries. I've been in like the restaurant and hospitality industry. I used to own bars and restaurants. I was one of the youngest wine sommeliers in the country, passing the test at 21. Um, And I've been all over the place. I've been in corporate. I've been rich and then poor and then rich. (laughs) So like I've I've been all over the place. But I just love the journey. I love the journey. And now I'm a dad and I'm a husband. And like now I'm giving back as much as humanly possible. That's awesome, man. And a lot of what you said resonates with me and, and more, most importantly, the thing you said, you love the journey because that's what this podcast is really about. So I'll give you a little backstory to Budget Trek and what it's about. So me and my wife, fully transparent, we're $50,000 in debt or we started $50,000 in debt. And we've been working really hard to get that number down. And originally this podcast began as sort of an accountability for myself to put myself out there and, and you know, keep myself on track. But then as I, as I went through it, I realized that this is a prime platform to educate people on my struggles and my successes. You know, it's not like I've finished the journey and I'm preaching on what I did. I'm preaching on what I'm doing. 
So I love educating through that. I love learning new things and, and strategizing with how I can make myself or put myself in a better situation financially. But I also realize that interviewing people like yourself really helps educate as well because everybody has a different perspective and hearing different people's struggles helps different people resonate with that and apply that to their own journey. So we're going to get really deep into that and how your story applies to the whole story of Budget Trek. But I'll always like to start with a preliminary question. What is the dumbest purchase you have ever made? Wow. Hopefully I'm a really <laughs> long podcast. Um, I, have made, I have made plenty of dumb purchases in the light of its real estate. So it's a double-bladed axe. It's, it was the dumbest thing, but I learned so much and got one of the greatest legal teams from it um, that it was a blessing. But we purchased, we as an I purchased this uh, really amazing historical home in downtown Los Angeles. We got it um, foreclosure. We bought it from the bank and it was going to be an amazing deal. We got it really cheap. We get into the deal after we closed it, wired, we now legally own it. And we go um, and try to find out what's going on with the tenants. And we find out that the tenants all have attorneys, that the property has been chopped up into 11 units. It's not a house. So now it falls under the rent control laws of Los Angeles, where the relocation fees are $18,637 per lease. So that times 11. And now we're in a fraud case with one of the biggest banks in the country. So that was a very expensive lesson. Fast forward three years, we ended up winning the case. Um, and we got one of the greatest real estate legal teams from it that we still use today. So that was a dumb purchase because we did not do enough um, due diligence and it could have cost us uh, three million in legal plus the property. It could have been a $4 million mistake. So we try to not make those. Um, as far as dumb things that I bought that like you would do when you go to Vegas, um, <laughs> I bought a thousand dollar hamburger and a $400 uh, like shake to go with it that was on fire. Um, that was pretty dumb. Uh, it wasn't even that good. I'd rather have it in an out burger. But. <laughs> so where, where did you go to purchase that in Vegas? Um, I'll send you the restaurant cause it's pretty famous. Um, it's, it's so Vegas though. It's so over the top. Like the, so the burger is cooked and then they put like gold flake on it, like gold oh. on the burger. Like it looks really cool in pictures, but as far as like the, it just doesn't, it tastes okay, but like it's not a thousand bucks. That's for sure. <laughs> can, can you taste like the metal? No. It? No, you can't taste it at all. You have, <laughs> there's like, I mean, this thing is obnoxious, bro. It's like a foot tall. It's there's so much stuff oh on it. Oh my gosh! And there's like a really cool sword, like through it. It's stashed into wood, and it comes like with this stuff and sparklers, and it's kind of on fire. <laughs> I mean, it looks cool, but like a thousand bucks, man. Yeah, come on. In and Out's got better burgers. <laughs> 100%. I crush those all the time. <laughs> well, cause I've seen that guy on Instagram. Uh, I think it's salt Bay and oh, yeah. uh -huh. he chops the meat and like puts gold flakes on wings and stuff like that. And I didn't know if, if it was his restaurant or if he even had a restaurant out there, but I know yeah. that stuff is pretty pricey. <laughs> yeah. He's the man. Like he actually, that's the only thing he's ever done is cook steak and work at a steakhouse. Like he worked his way all the way up from the very bottom. I love that guy's story. He's a beast. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. But yeah, man, so let's go ahead and dive deep into this. So Andy, you know, you can look at your Instagram, you can see what you've done and you've attained this massive level of success, but you know, you and I both know attributed to your story. You don't start in the entrepreneurial world with success. It's a grind and the money is definitely not guaranteed. So, you know, starting out, you know, you, you said you grew up in a single parent household, really rough childhood, really poor. How did you manage your personal finances when you were starting this journey? And how did that play a role in getting you to where you are today? Great question. Because I didn't have any mentors to tell me about credit. I didn't have any mentors to tell me about anything with finance. I only had one gear and that was sixth gear. So it was like, work as hard and make as much as possible. I didn't realize the whole like, hey, your money can work for you. Hey, you can buy properties that cash flow and you can make money while you sleep. You know, you can invest in certain funds that might actually help you instead of just making as much money and stuffing it in the bank. Um, Because when you're 22 years old and you're making almost a hundred grand a year, that was 20 years ago. And it's just, it's not the smartest thing because I had zero and my ego got really big because I was making more than all my friends and my family. And I made a lot of poor decisions. And you know, I made some terrible investments in my friends' companies, in the stock market. So about 27 years old, I finally realized like, hey, ding dong, it might be a good idea to go get financially literate. How about we get around some wise people um, that might know what to do? I didn't know any better. So when I was 19, I started like a mutual fund and I'm throwing all this money into it. And then when I was about 23, uh, I'd lost half of it because the stock market you know, completely shifted. And that's when I started to realize like, wait a minute, I had nothing to do with that. And I just lost half my money. So I didn't like the way that felt. So by the time I was 30, I was swinging deep, deep into the real estate space. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to pull all my money out of the stock market. And I'm going to take full responsibility for my future. Still not really knowing, but I knew that the real estate play was what a lot of wealthy people did. So I spent about a year and a half taking classes and courses and seminars and like it's literally spending a small fortune and the amount of epiphanies I had in that year and a half changed my life forever. I was like, Oh, now I get it. Like I get it. Now I know what depreciation is. Now what I know what delayed gratification is when you're trying to like, you know, do a long-term play with investing. Now I know what a budget actually looks like. Like I was good at running businesses, I wasn't good at running my finances. I was just good at making the money. So it was, it was really an interesting shift for me in my mid-20s around, I got to get financially literate or I'm going to keep making two, $300,000 a year and never make more. So do you think that you are still, in a sense, financially illiterate or do you think you've mastered that aspect of business? I always get very scared of saying that I've mastered anything because I don't really think I have. I am, if I was to look at it from like a school level, I would say I'm probably in a graduate program. Um, and hopefully in my late 50s to early 60s, have a full blown PhD in it. But I know what to do and what not to do now. I know what to look for in the market. And I know how cyclical the global economy is and I pay attention to the data and I spend a tremendous amount of money looking at the math where I didn't do that before. 
I would go off of pure gut and pure instinct. Well, now I do that as well and always have and always will, but now it's coupled with hard data, which makes decisions really, really easy for me. I look at real estate. Does it fit my little metrics? Does it fit this? Yes or no? No? Cool. Next. I, I keep it very simple. I go really fast if you're watching me on Instagram and YouTube, but if you're in my office and you're watching me on a daily basis, I go very slow in the due diligence process on investments for myself, my investors, because I don't like to make bad moves, it, especially at this level. They can be very, very, very costly, so I go very slow. I make sure that all, I, I try to remove as much risk as possible, and then when I do that, I go full gas, and that's when we pour the gas on. So, so do you think, you know, you said you do the due diligence and, and you go really slow. Is that a result of making a bad mistake in the past for going too quickly? Absolutely. Like in every aspect of my life, like there are, I've made some bad hires because, you know, I went too fast. I didn't vet them enough. I've made some really bad partnerships because same reason. So if you do that enough times, you're like, okay, this person's a perfect fit. This is a great partner. This is a perfect deal. What's an extra month going to do? Right. Nothing. Let's take the time and let's walk through this. Very similar to what you did with this show. Like you put a plan together to basically get some leverage on yourself and say, hey, I'm 50K in the hole. I'm going to start a podcast and I'm going to keep myself accountable by like sharing my journey. And by sharing your journey every day, you give other people permission to do the same. It's extremely powerful. Mm-hmm. And I'm super proud of you for doing it because most people don't have the cojones to do it. Like there was a time in my life I was well over 50K in debt and you better believe I wasn't telling a soul. Mm-hmm. I just worked my face off and grinded out of it. Now I'm the opposite. Like I'm just telling everybody all my stuff. <laughs> so yeah. <I> just- <laughs> See, and that's the thing, man. It's like I'm really passionate about financial literacy and you know, my, my lack of financial literacy is what got me into that hole in the first place. So if through my journey, through my struggles and my successes, I can somehow educate someone else to not make the same mistakes I made or I am currently making, then I'm doing my part and I feel good about it. 100%. And it's that thing of being of service that kind of takes you out. It kind of takes you out of your head and kind of gets you back into your heart, right? Mm -hmm. So you're like, look, here's here's where we're at. And it's also cool because now you're doing it with your partner. And like, now you have an accountability person at home and now you guys are like, Hey, let's go out. You're like, uh, let's go out for an hour. But like, I don't feel like spending a hundred bucks tonight. (laughs) Right. And then now you guys are laying this unbelievable financial, like strategy and checklist. And you're starting to do that. So now as you guys grow and you guys start making more money, you've already laid a phenomenal foundation. for how you guys are going to communicate about finances. What you don't know is most marriages and most people, that's what they fight about. I was just about to say that. 100%. Because they don't openly communicate where their pain points are, what hurts. Maybe one person is just a spender and the other person is a saver. That's a recipe for disaster. Mm -hmm. If you're not very clear on what the goals are for the family. So like, Having those real conversations is super, super important. There's a perfect example. It's Tuesday. Tuesday's date night, no matter what, with the wife and I. And we go out to dinner. You know what we talk about? We talk about our kids. We talk about our future. And we, and we say, like, where are we at with our plans? She's got 
got three very successful businesses. I do too. And like, that's what we do. No kids. We catch up. We get clear on where we're at every week. That's awesome. That's really awesome. And, and so I had an individual reach out to me yesterday and he's getting married like next week or something. And he said, you know, I've listened to your podcast. I know, you know, you and your wife, you talked about combining your finances. Like I, I love to pick your brain. And when I got on the call with him, you know, he, he was kind of, he was on the same page about combining finances, but it's always that, you know, that other side where it's like, you know, if I'm making investments that don't really involve her or him, should I keep that cash flow to myself? And I said, no, I said, because finances are the number one cause of divorce in America among couples. So why are you going to begin a relationship already creating a wall between you two? And like, I, I am a, a, a full blown proponent that honestly, I, I think you should combine your finances with your significant other. Like, as your fiance, like before y'all get married, because it, it, it gives you time to figure it out before you get married. Because if you wait till you get married and then you realize you hate their financial habits, it makes it a little bit tougher. You know, you're living with this person at that point. So it, I it agree. Really it's like having sex hard. before marriage. Like I'm, I'm a very spiritual person and I don't get in anybody's boat with all the different kind of religions there are. I was raised very Christian, but like you don't know until you know, but especially exactly. finances. Like, I, there's been plenty of people I'm sure they're like, "We just got married. You're 60k in debt, and now you're telling me, and now I have a legal obligation of half of your debt." Like, that's a that's a bad it's a bad conversation to have exactly. just after the honeymoon. So it's good to have a plan, but at the same time, like, it's it's all together. It's all team one. Like that's it, and then. I've, I've talked to many people. I've talked to shrinks that have crazy financial backgrounds and they're like, here's what we do. There's one joint account where all the money goes into, all the bills are paid out of it. And then he pays himself a salary, which is agreed upon by both parties. She pays herself a salary, which is agreed upon by both parties. So you have your separate account that you can spend and do whatever you want with and you can waste you, hey, you want to piss away your $1,000 a month, $2,000 a month? That's your business. You want to go buy stuff? Cool, that's your business. But the main account where all the family stuff is, the investing strategies, what you guys are doing for the future all goes in one thing. And then each person can't get mad. Like, hey, you spent all your money? Cool. I got like 26 grand in mine. <laughs> so <laughs> it doesn't matter. And it's, a, it's just a great way to where everybody can still have their freedom where they don't have to ask their partner permission because that's where it gets a little sticky too. Where like, mm -hmm. there's a fine line and like, I'm a grown man and she's a grown woman. I'm not asking permission for everything. Just right. not going to happen. So if there's a fund that I know is mine that I'm contributing to and then everything is agreed upon, I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think too, with that, you know, like me and my wife have had the same conversation where, you know, she wants to buy clothes for winter or summer and she's like, you know, can I spend this money? And I'm like, babe, you know, like some of that is your money, you know, it's, it's okay to spend the money. But I, I think I, I respect her asking too, because it's been Agreed. along this journey. Uh, like she knows we have these financial goals. So she wants to make sure that if she spends the money that we're still on track to achieve them in our given deadline. Yeah, and that's called communication, brother. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't get any better. You want to be married forever? Communicate your face off. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> that's it. With everything. You're like, look, I and you have to be super honest. That's why I love the book, The Five Love Languages, because 
you, you need to know how somebody feels, right? Feelings and emotion trigger some of the most horrible financial decisions. So if you can find out like, how does somebody feel love? Is it, and there's like, there's like five things. I forget what it is. It's like physical touch, quality time, um, acts of service, gifts, and words of affirmation. So like I tell every young couple, this was a non-negotiable for my wife and I, I go, you're going to read this book. She's like, I already read it. Like, I don't care. You're going to read it again with me. <laughs> and we're going to get really clear on like what each other needs because that way I'm not speaking like Cambodian to somebody who speaks Chinese. You know what I mean? Like I need right. to know how to speak your language. And I just think it's awesome. And it's another layer of communication. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And, and I think like, you know, this all comes back to being on the same page with everything. And it comes back to, you know, finances. If you're not on the same page, you're causing issues. So being on the same page and communicating. And like, like I, I got married five months ago. You know, I'm still learning. And, I, and I, I can almost guarantee that you're probably still learning too. I don't think you ever really know 100% about what you're doing. But it, always, it always pays to communicate, to love, to have passion in your relationship. And to, to give too, you know, hundred percent. And like, it's a, it's a constant journey and it's never, never ending. So once you have that perspective, you're like, I'm going to be learning about her and I'm going to be learning about me for the rest of my life and vice versa. That takes all the guesswork around. Cause you want to know why never going to be perfect. Exactly. 100%. Well, we'll, we'll go ahead and switch this conversation from marriage and I want to ask you a question and I want to get deep with it because I, like I said before, when we have struggles, you know, inherently we resonate with them that much more. So, you know, growing up or even now recently, whenever, what's the worst financial situation you've been in and how did you get out of that? Um, the worst, I had a pretty bad business partner. Um, that was my fault. I let it get way out of hand found out that we were about $300,000 in credit card debt um, that he had taken out personally under the corporation's name and that I was attached to all of it. And we were in a buyout scenario and I was going to have to eat all that debt <clears throat> to get him out. And then we switched gears and in the middle of the buyout, I took a buyout because um, I just had to get away from this person. And in the buyout, I had to eat 62% uh, of the debt. That was part of the buyout structure. So I basically built this company up, made it great, and had to leave with, you know, a hundred and something thousand dollars less. Um, and then it was on my credit. So my credit score went down to 510 in about 30 days once wow. it was all uh it was all done and legal and i had to pay the debt down i could have paid it all off at once but my credit was already tanked so i was advised to do it slowly um and then i had some family stuff come up and some people needed money so like i got myself in a pretty good pickle but i mean it took me probably just over two years to pay it off in the way that I wanted to, where I was going to fix everything. I got my credit back up. Um, but I didn't let it like keep me stuck. Right. Like I always knew it was there every night when I went to bed, I knew it was there, but I was 
I was taking action every day. Mm -hmm. And by taking action every day and not sticking my head in the sand like an ostrich and pretending like it's not there feels very different than I hope the big, like the big bad boogeyman of debt goes away one day. Because that kind of thinking is, it just prolongs the inevitable. And then it starts to stack, as I'm sure you know. And you're like, I'm never getting out of this hole. And then you have these negative thoughts and that negative inner dialogue will cripple you. Mm -hmm. Like there was days where I just had to pretend like it was all paid off and it wasn't because I had to get my head in the right space to keep going. But that's the thing about, I don't know, like this whole journey. There's sometimes you get yourself in a pickle. (laughs) You gotta, you're either going to let that crush you and that's going to be the end of you financially, or you're going to figure it out. And I use this scenario a lot. I keep turning the Rubik's cube until I have the colors I want on one side. And I don't stop turning that damn thing until I get it. I just, I'm constantly trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. No, it takes a lot of like the stress out of it. Exactly. And it's cool. You said that. So, so just like you, I was, I was raised in a Christian household and me and my wife go to church and, you know, we're really trying to, have faith in that respect. And at church this past Sunday, they were talking about finances, you know, coincidentally, and he was talking about worry and how, you know, on this journey, you know, with me and being in $50,000 in debt, like when I started it, I had a lot of worry looming over me, you know, like I'm not going to hit my deadline. Like I put myself out there. What are people going to think about me? You know, just, just the common things people think about. And it, it really solidified the fact that if you worry, it really does nothing for you. Yeah, that's easier said than done. But when you worry, you, you create this negative mentality in your head and you create this false narrative that you're not capable of overcoming it. Hearing that really made me rethink all of this. And like, it's just crazy how one message can lift a burden off of your shoulders. And that's the way it felt because, you know, the last thing I want to do with this journey is have that victim mentality to where, the world is working against me. I'm in debt because, you know, of bad things that happened rather than what I want to do is take responsibility for my actions and use my failures and my mistakes to preach the success that I'm going to have going forward. Very well said, my friend. And that is the power of faith. Like I feel not sorry for people that like don't believe, but like if, if you don't have any faith and you don't believe in anything that's out there, like man, I couldn't imagine what that's like. There's been times I've been on my knees just begging, like, can I get a little relief? Like, can I just wake up tomorrow and not feel this much anxiety, this much pressure, this much stress? And sure enough, next day, I feel a little better. Something comes into my life. I get an awesome little, like, you know, thing or some kind of scenario, or I meet somebody that presents an awesome opportunity to help me pay that debt down. Like, that's the best. You we have so much power in our minds to kind of create a narrative good and bad. And I think that like when you are just open to, to hear the message, that's when the messages will come the clearest. And I've got this board that's on this huge wall that's at my desk and I have quotes and things that I've cut out and just things I like and I write them on there and I'm staring at this one right now and it says small, actions create big changes 
And it's just this like little ripple in this giant pond. That is so true. Like it's so hard for us to see those little actions that we take every day that really compound the big macro effect. Exactly. Because to the common person, it's insignificant. It doesn't mean anything. But you look back a year from now and you've made a huge change. And I was actually talking about this with someone and it, we were talking about getting 1% better every single day. And like, that sounds boring. It's like, you know, if I was a real go-getter, I'd get 100% better every single day, but that's just not possible. But if that's, you get 1% better every single day, look up for a year and theoretically, you're 365% better than you were from day one. That's what I tell people all the time. I go, it's me versus me from yesterday. That's exactly. it. How, how much did I improve on me as a human and like a spiritual being from yesterday? Did I go backwards or did I go forward? And if I went forward, great. If I went backwards, how can I fix that and not do it again? And I, I tell people constantly, like if, if you had typed me into Google three years ago, you wouldn't have found me. I, I didn't exist. I had 12 investors, was doing very well, had like 300 followers on Facebook, and most of them were my friends from high school. I did not have a digital presence. I, I was not Googleable at all. I didn't exist online. Fast forward three years, I have a digital marketing firm. Like it, it, it's insane what's happened in three years. And it's because I took action. Mm -hmm. Little action every single day that created momentum. And once the momentum started, I poured as much gas on it as the engine could take. Yeah. And, and, and just to, just to, you know, reconfirm that three years is not a long time when you think about it. It's really yeah, not. Wait, wait till you have kids, bro. I remember <laughs> driving home from the hospital with Jackson, who's now six and a half when he was brand new baby. I remember, I remember leaving the parking lot. I, I could tell you exactly how many speed bumps I hit <laughs> I over at my wife. And I was like, I am so glad that I am 36 and not 26. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. And then like we drove home and then those years clipped by like, man, like rockets. They go by so fast. I tell everybody you want life to go into hyperdrive, have children. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, me and my wife are talking about it. And it's kind of giving me a little bit of anxiety because, you know, we have a dog, you know, that's a kid, I guess, <laughs> but, you know, having a child that, you know, you have to feed, you have to change their diaper. It gives me a little bit of anxiety because I'm only 23 and I feel like I'm still, I'm still learning how to take care of myself, <laughs> but, but it, it, this is a cool topic because, you know, having kids and having a family, I think a lot of people would benefit from hearing, like, how do you balance that? You know, work-life balance is a huge deal. And, you know, you have the one side that's saying, you know, like Bill Gates, there, there's, I watched this documentary on Netflix and he would work like 16 hour days with a family. And yeah. then you've got these other people that are promoting, like, you need to get off work at five o'clock on the dot and spend the rest of the night with your family. So, you know, building all this up with your success, how do you balance the two? Cause I think a lot of people would love to hear from that. Absolutely. It's a, and it's a huge topic that I speak of from stage a lot. And I actually get hired to go speak at a lot of different conferences to just literally speak about this topic. It's very important to me. Mm -hmm. If, if you want what Bill Gates has, you got to put in Bill Gates hours. Right. Like, and, and for him, the way Bill Gates is wired, being super dad was not for him. Being a global mogul that's going to change future generations was. So you have to know that's why 
Work-life balance is such a singular sport. It's such an individualized concept. And we try to generalize it, and that's just not possible. My like clear definition of work-life balance is night and day difference from where I was at 35 than I am at 42. I was working 16, 17, 18-hour days because I was creating an empire. And then I have kids, and the empire shifted. Like, it wasn't just about the financial wealth. It was about the, my dad wasn't there for me. My kids are never going to see a second. Even before I got married, I always knew I was going to coach my kids' teams. I was going to take my kids to school and pick them up. My, my universe was going to be my family. And that's what I created. When my son was born, I had 19 properties in escrow. And for anybody that's in real estate, that is a lot of properties. <laughs> and once we closed all those properties, like two weeks after he was born, I moved my office home. And my partners were like, you can't do that. I'm like, I can do whatever I want. <laughs> yeah. I'm moving my office home. And I worked from home for two years because I wanted to be as close to my son as humanly possible for as many hours in the day. And I still did everything I was supposed to do, but your quote unquote work-life balance is going to change throughout the course of your life. So you need to be okay with that change and be able to course correct and adapt. I'm home at three o'clock just about every single day. Just recently, about six months ago, I went to my wife and I was like, look, I'm building some more stuff. I'm in build mode with this company. I need two long days. And we sat down as a couple and figured out Tuesdays and Thursdays, I can work until 5.30 or even 6. And that sounds like a normal day. For me, that's a long day. So I'm so used to being home at 3 o'clock, picking my kids up, spending five hours with them, having dinner, giving them baths, putting them to bed with my wife. Like when I come home at 6 o'clock and I have an hour with them, it feels like I didn't see them. So I couldn't imagine what that feels like year over year over year. And I know now why people aren't as close to certain parents because of work. But I'm here to tell you, I don't care if you make $40,000 a year or $40 million, you can choose your life's path. You just have to be willing to sacrifice other things. Like, I don't hang out with my friends. I love my friends. They know I love them. I, I see them when I can. But, like, I spend time with my family. I spend time with my businesses. That's huge. And that's good for me too. Cause like I said, I just got married and it's always this looming thing. Cause like, you know, you see it on social media, people that are, you know, grinding and up until three, four in the morning. And I'm just like, I can't do that. Like, that's you know, I wake up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I wake up at five, but it's like, you know, people that grind to the night, like, unfortunately, like I want to fall asleep with my wife, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't enjoy laying in bed and she's already asleep. You know, it's like, and I think, that's something that was instilled in me by my parents. My parents were always around and they were always involved regardless of any work things they had. So that's the way I want to be for my kids. And like, like this, the same thing you say, like I, I, I want to coach my kids sports teams. I don't, I mean, I only played one sport, but I can figure out how to coach the others, you know? So it's Dude, just it doesn't one, get any better. It, yeah, exactly. It does not get any better. I don't care if you have a trillion dollars in the bank. When you're out there on the field or whatever, swimming, I don't care what it is. Like, that's your child exactly. that they either love or trying to figure out. The whole world stops. Like, it's just that. And it's so cool. And so many dads and moms miss it for a meeting or a 
this or that. And so sorry I missed that. My dad missed all my stuff. <laughs> my grandparents came to every single game. I played every sport on earth and surfed and snowboarded and skateboarded. And used to, I, I did it all, all. I never stopped. So like, and plus, man, like you, you don't have to be who's ever on Instagram. You have to be you. Exactly. And you have to be exactly. that husband to your wife. Like you guys said sacred vows to each other. That shit is real. Mm-hmm. So if you want to go to sleep with your wife and have those conversations every single night and then go to bed, trust me, the dude that's staying up till three o'clock in the morning to get his startup going and she's going to bed already resentful, like, trust me, that is a recipe for disaster because I mentor a lot of those people. Exactly. And I've told my wife that. So like, you know, I have a nine to five. I have a second job and I'm doing this podcast and I told my wife, I said, you know, if you think that our time together is dwindling down, like tell me because none of these jobs, like this podcast, none of this means anything to me if it means affecting our relationship. Of course. And I think, you know, on social media, you know, newlywed couples, they, they, they hear the contrary. It's where if you're not focusing on your business 24-7, then you don't actually care about providing for your family. And it's that false narrative. And I'm not saying everybody does that, but, but it's just my, my thing is, is when you're on your deathbed, you're not going to remember the business you were up creating until 3 a.m. that eventually failed. You're going to remember, you know, being at your kids games, spending time with your wife, you know, going on dates like every single week, you and your wife go on a date like that is something you are always going to remember. And I just think too many people put too much value in work and not enough into their families. Amen. And I say this all the time and will continue to say this. So if I'm home at three o'clock every day, me to give up basically two to three hours every single day usually quantifies to about one full work day a week. Cause it's basically, you know, three, six, nine, you know, we'll call it 12 hours. Um, and that's a one full work day is gone every week. So I basically work four days a week if you just look at the time allotted per week. And then so that's one full week a month. And that's one full month a quarter. So that's three months a year that I'm giving back to my family. That's a tremendous amount of time when you look at that I'm already off on the weekends. So if you look at how much time I have to be hyper-focused when I am at work, it makes you really productive in those time frames. Mm -hmm. So when it's time for work, it's time for work. Like I'm grinding, I'm working, I'm putting in hours because I also know that when I go home, it's family time. So that's what I'm doing there. I still am on my phone, but I'm on it a lot less than I used to be. So I, don't care if I have, you know, whatever, $300 million in the bank on my deathbed and I worked my face off the whole time. $210 million is perfectly fine because I gave up and gave back that time to my family. Exactly. And like there's been this debate, you know, they always talk about in school how procrastination is bad. But it kind of, this is kind of along the same lines because, you know, when you do procrastinate, and I think Tim Ferriss talks about this, when you do procrastinate in your head, you're like, oh man, like I got to haul ass. Like I got to get this done because I don't have a lot of time left. And it's crazy how amazing the human mind is because when you give yourself like that really small allotment of time, you're able, if you're just productive, you're able to do so much. But I think people limit themselves. And you know, nowadays with all the distractions with social media, Fortnite, 
all those other things, it's really easy to become unproductive, but it's really cool the success you've had and been able to maintain while only theoretically working nine months a year. <laughs> right. Well, it's because I'm hyper scheduled. Like, and I get up early. Like I might be home at three o'clock. I also get up at three to four in the morning. So mm-hmm. I get a major head start on my day where I can do my spiritual practices in the morning, do my meditations, my prayers. I sit in gratitude, you know, for five minutes. Then I go work out. Then I spend an hour and a half with my kids in the morning. So now my heart is filled with joy before I even go to work. So like when it's time to go to work, like it's game on. Like my body Mm -hmm. is fired up. I've got good food and fuel in me. I've had some unbelievable, like really strong coffee with all kinds of fat and butter and oils in it. I'm ready to rock. <laughs> so from like nine to three, I'll probably outproduce most people. But then like now it's time to go play. Like so this is one of my long days and we're gonna wrap here in just a few minutes. I'm gonna get in my car, go pick up my wife, and we're gonna go to dinner. Yeah, there you go. You know, for me, if I know, you know, I, I gotta haul ass for the next five hours and then I know like after that time I get to see my wife and I get to actually enjoy the rest of the night. Like it gives me that motivation to work hard because it's like, I owe it to my wife. I owe it to my family to work hard right now because I'm about to go spend time with her. I don't know. It's a weird cycle. And when you get married, your mind gets all weird. You get all gushy, but I love it. (laughs) No, Here's the secret. It gets amazing. Yeah, it does. You start start getting clear. You're like, wait a minute. I don't have to go out and like date chicks. Exactly. I have this awesome person at home that has my back. Like, so... I tell people all the time, like, trust me, a married, a happily married person will outproduce a single person every single time because they're not distracted by like Twitter and different things and chasing girls. Oh, it's Friday. I'm going to go out with the boys and we're going to go look for chicks. Like, nope. (laughs) Exactly. And and, and another side with that too, when you're starting a new business venture, you already have someone on your side. You're not, you're not doing it alone. You, you've got your partner behind you 100% pushing you to your goals. And I think that's huge because like, I think all these people, you know, that, that work really hard and don't see the success they need is because they don't have enough people in their corner. But it's amazing that, you know, that one person, your spouse, it's almost like you have 100 people behind you with the support that they give you. It's crazy. It's, it's so true, man. And just to know that on those hard days, you can go home and like cry your eyes out to somebody <laughs> who has your back. And you're just like, you can be as vulnerable as humanly possible. And you're like, babe, I'm broken right now. I don't know. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to fix it. And they're like, you're going to figure it out. You always figure it out. It's like, yeah, you're right. Like that is priceless. I love it, man. I love it. But hey, Andy, let's go ahead and start wrapping up. But I wanted to ask this question because I'm curious. What's the most expensive thing you bought for yourself? A building. <laughs> a building. <laughs> um, I like to buy buildings. So a lot of people like cars. Um, I like buildings. I I love to be a landlord. I love to provide a, like a really cool thing for a family. I like to help those people that live in my buildings buy something else and show them all the tools that are possible because so many renters think that they can never buy. And I, I, I really try to change that mindset for them. So for me, like it's, it's always kind of how to be of service and create wealth at the same time. And that's why I like to buy buildings. My wife loves vacations. 
I do not vacation well. I, I <laughs> wish I did. Um, she would much rather have a $100,000 vacation than a $100,000 car because um, she values the experience and right. the kind of stuff that she likes to create for our family. And so that's what she does. And she's like, here's where we're going. Look at this awesome house we're going to get. I'm like, great. How long are we going for? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, it's the, like, I don't usually buy really expensive, dumb things. Um, cause I did that in my twenties. I got most of that out of my system because like my entire self-worth is not wrapped up in a pair of like shoes and loafers and belt buckles and some car that's supposed to define me. Like I get defined by me looking at myself in the mirror saying like, did I provide value to this planet today? Exactly. I love that. That's what I care about. I love that. And it's crazy because uh, my in-laws are just in New York and they have a huge Nike store there. And there is a pair of Jordans for $40,000. Yep. And you and, know what's crazy about that is, and I hate to cut you off, but it's because it happened in Long Beach where I live. There's a giant port here in Long Beach. It's one of the biggest ports in the world. They just busted a big container from China with $200 million worth of fake Nike shoes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so like, as, as, and I just heard it today from this guy that films with me because he's a huge, like, you know, shoe person. And I was like, I wonder if all those things that are 40 grand, if some of them aren't just fakes, just like art. It's it, crazy, right? Yeah, it, it <laughs> honestly would not surprise me because yeah. everyone's just trying to make a quick buck nowadays and fakes the way to go, I guess. <laughs> But if you ever see me with a $40,000 pair of shoes, I give you permission to drive to my house and punch me in the face. All right. Noted. And I'm going to put it in the show notes too. So anyone else can do it too. Kurt, no, everybody. <laughs> this is my declaration to the world. You see me $40,000 shoes, you have my full permission to come and punch me in the face. Aren't you? <laughs> I love it, man. Well, Hey Andy, let's go ahead and start wrapping up. Where can the listeners find you on social media, website, et cetera? Sure, I'm super easy to find. You just type in my name, Andy Dane Carter, uh, A-N-D-Y-D-A-N-E-C-A-R-T-E-R, to Google. Um, and those are my handles for Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. We have an awesome YouTube channel where we give out tons of free content. It's just my name, Andy Dane Carter. Um, and then I do have a great podcast that I'm super proud of. It's called The Andy Dane Carter Show. Um, that's on all the places that podcasts are. My website andydanecarter.com. You guys can download my books there for free. I have tons of free content there, tons of free things for entrepreneurs. Um, I'm very active on Instagram. So if you want to communicate with me, hit me up on Instagram or in the DM. I try to get back to everybody within a couple of days. Well, guys, you heard it from Andy. Reach out to him. Tell him you like the episode. Tell him you're going to punch him in the face. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> et cetera. Well, Andy, thanks for your time, man. This has been awesome. 100%, brother. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for listening, guys. I post episodes every Monday and Thursday, and those are available on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, or any other major podcasting platform. So listen to us there. Give us a follow on social media, Facebook and Instagram, and let us know what you thought of the episode. We'll catch you next time.